fantastic, fantastic to be here. And uh, Reasons Beyond is, a, is an amazing family of churches. And um, it's great uh, to get to know um, some of you, particularly Dan and Rach and Sue and Phil and Debs and some others in this church already. And it's great to be here this morning. And just uh, in January, I think it was January, yeah, Phil and Debs and the team came up uh, and really blessed us as we went out on the streets in Chester Street. They trained us and, and equipped us. Uh, and we've been doing that since. And it's been great. They really provoked us and stirred something, stirred faith in the church. So it's amazing that we can, um, we can be in one another's churches. We can, we can share gifts around and support one another and stir one another up towards what to what God has got for us. And uh, today we are um, going to be looking at Romans chapter 8. You're w- welcome if you've got a Bible to turn there. Um, I don't know if slides have been sent, but if they have been, you, Dan said there's a PowerPoint, then there should be a picture that comes up on the screen now. Amazing. Um, this is a, a painting by Vincent van Gogh. Uh, you may or may not have come across it. I, f- I find it a really powerful image. Um, it's hard to know exactly what this man is feeling, but... It doesn't look particularly positive. Uh, He's despairing in some way, maybe in some kind of anguish, uh, maybe anxious or worried. Uh, Perhaps he's just really, really tired. (laughs) Sometimes I feel like that when I'm really tired. But he's not in a good place. And we all experience times like this. Maybe some of us, even this morning, are feeling like this man feeling, and maybe we're not literally, but inside, like our head in our hands, despairing of what's going on in our lives right now. Disappointment, despondency, things happening, things falling apart around you. Because sometimes life really hurts. It really hurts. It's a struggle. And Paul, one of the earliest church leaders, knew about that. And he spoke into the suffering of this world in this chapter, Romans chapter 8. It's a beautiful chapter of the Bible. Uh, I'd love to look at it all, but unfortunately, I won't have time to look at it all. So we're just going to look at, I think, 9 or 10 verses. Romans chapter 8. We'll start at verse 18. Again, I think it will come up on the screen. Um, If you don't have a Bible with you, that's fine. It says this. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that's seen isn't hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what we ought to pray for. Or we don't know what, what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
Verse 18 in this passage acts as a kind of um, summary, really, of the whole section, a title of the whole section. We'll read that again, verse 18. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Paul is aware we, we walk through times of suffering now, but he's looking to the end of the story because what he's doing here is he's putting this whole thing of suffering in the big story of the Bible. And the first thing he points us to, this is where the wonderful props come into their own, uh, is future glory. Future glory. That is where we are headed. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus here today, you are headed to future glory. But then he goes right to the start of the Bible story in verse 20, where he talks about the creation being subjected to futility. And so he goes right to the very start. Genesis chapter 1, what do we read? God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates everything that we see, the whole created order. And he says time and time again... It is good. It is good. It is good. It's good creation. That's where the story started. But what's happened? Because right now, in the middle of this story, yes, we see goodness. Yes, we see beautiful sunrises. We see beautiful creation around us. But we also see so much corruption. He says the creation was subjected to futility. Or verse 21, it's in bondage to corruption. That's what we so often experience now because what happened was the first humans sinned. They chose independence from God. Rather than living with God and for God, they wanted to to live life apart from God. And that's created what we often call now the fall. And it's a good word because that's literally what happened. The whole created order, including humans themselves, fell from the goodness that they had in in, in the start to this corruption and this futility and this decay that we see around us all over the place. That's what sin created. You see, the world was created on this upward trajectory. It was good and it was created with potential that humans could cultivate it and bring out even more goodness. And it would kind of elevate, it would go up on this upward trajectory, it would get better and better and better as humans cultivated and subdued all that God had made. But instead of going up, humans sinned and they turned away from God and it caused this upward trajectory to, go, to fall, <laughs> to go on a downward trajectory that we're in now where we see decay, more and more decay. Just look at your own lives. You start... Fairly upward, but very quickly, I'm 37 now, and very quickly I'm realising that my body is decaying. (laughs) My knees aren't working quite as well on my runs as they used to, and they're in a lot of pain sometimes. So that's just on an individual level. We look around the world and we see decay coming in all over the place. And right now, we're in this time between the fall and future glory. Still some of the goodness of creation is here, don't get me wrong, in in us as humans and in the world, but we live in this present time that Paul speaks of in verse 18, this present time of sufferings. That's what this present time is. It's a time of sufferings. He He doesn't brush over it, he gets straight to the point. And sometimes I think there's a misunderstanding that when you become a Christian, those sufferings just fade away and suddenly 
Yeah, you, we, and sometimes we can do that, not intentionally necessarily. If we're leading someone to faith, we can, we can tell them about all the good stuff which there is in Jesus, but we need to also let them know that it is going to be full of suffering. Because becoming a Christian doesn't suddenly take you out of the sufferings of this world. We're still very much walking through this present time between the full and future glory. And I would say even more than that, that becoming a Christian puts you into even greater suffering often than those who aren't Christians. Because Jesus says part of becoming a Christian is to deny yourself, to take up your cross and to follow him. Taking up your cross is painful. It can lead to suffering that wouldn't have been there if you weren't a Christian. Whilst at the same time enjoying the joy and peace and abundance that Jesus gives us in him. Paul knew this only too well. He speaks in 2 Corinthians 12 about this thorn in the flesh that he lived with. We don't know exactly what that is. Some say it's an illness. Some would say it's um, oppos- like individuals who are opposing him. We don't know what it is, really. But we do know that he lived with it on a long-term basis, and it was hard. It was suffering that he walked through in this life. But this present suffering is not the end of the story. Hallelujah. <laughs> Future glory. Is where we're headed. And we need to keep our eyes fixed on that. Not only we as humans, but the whole of creation. Let's just remind ourselves, verse 21, it says this, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain what? The freedom of the glory of the children of God. So just as humans sinned, and when they sinned, the whole of creation fell, so now the promise is that the whole of creation will share in the future glory that humanity is going to have. Creation falls with us and it rises with us. That's what this passage is saying. It's going to join in and share this future glory that the children of God are going to experience. And we get little hints in this passage and elsewhere in the Bible of what this future glory that humans and creation are going to enjoy looks like. Just hints. We don't get details exactly, but we get hints and they're beautiful hints. And I think the best summary word is transformation. There is going to be transformation. There's going to be continuity and discontinuity with this present life. But the discontinuity is going to be, there's going to be an elimination of all the suffering and all the pain that we're currently experiencing, which is beautiful. This passage speaks of it um, in verse 23 as our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I just want to dwell on that for a moment. Our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. If you're a Christian, you're already adopted as a son. It speaks about being sons of God because we're in Jesus, the Son of God. So men and women together are sons of God in Jesus. And if you're a Christian, just verse 15 of this passage says that we have the spirit of adoption, crying out, Abba, Father, we're already adopted. You're already a son of God in Christ. Hallelujah. But there is something yet to be revealed of our sonship which is to come. There is a public revelation, if you like, of our sonship. Because I don't really look... I mean, I'm walking around... Chester Street or park my car and walk in here and home. People who aren't Christians are looking at me. They're not going, oh, look, there's a son of God just by looking at me. Yet one day they will. The whole of creation, wow, there's the glory of the sons of God. It's radiating from them that we will be like Jesus, it says in 1 John. We will be like him. We will share beautifully and perfectly, perfectly in his glory. That's where we're headed. Public revelation of our sonship. But not only that, the redemption of our bodies. And that they link together because something about this public revelation of our sonship is that our bodies will be redeemed. And we, they, we, will, be, we will share Jesus' glorified body. As I said, my body right now is 
very much not redeemed. It is decaying. And so is yours, dare I say, and be so rude. We're, we're day by day, it's happening. They are not redeemed. And yet one day, all of the current weaknesses and frustrations that we experience in our physical bodies now will be no more. Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21 puts it this way. I love these verses. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies. Paul's pretty blunt. Our lowly bodies, this lowly thing, to be like his glorious body. Transformation of our bodies. You see, the new heaven and the new earth, the future glory that we're experiencing, isn't going to be us bodiless spirits floating around in the sky playing harps, having a nice time up there in the clouds somewhere. No, it's going to be on a new, transformed, restored creation. Very, even more physical than this current world is somehow. However, that, it's beyond our understanding. And our bodies, we're going to have new, transformed, restored, redeemed bodies, which will have continuity and discontinuity with our present bodies. I think we'll recognize each other. Don't know for definite, but I think we will. But there will be this beautiful transformation. Revelation 21, um, a famous passage, but it sums it up really well. Because we're not going to age, we're not going to decay, we're not going to get sick, we're not going to get tired, and most significantly, we're not going to die anymore. Hallelujah. So it says this, God will dwell with them, they will be his people, and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things, the present time of suffering, have passed away. That's future glory. It sounds pretty glorious to me. It sounds pretty glorious to me. And not only we, ourselves, but the whole of creation will be transformed. News of floods and climate change and famines and earthquakes will be a thing of the past. Perfected, glorified, restored. This transformation from suffering to glory for us as humans and for all of creation is made possible through the suffering of one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because sometimes you might think, oh, maybe there's people here who aren't, aren't yet Christians. And you think, oh, this sounds nice. It sounds lovely, but it also sounds a little bit like a fairy tale. You can make a great movie out of that. But is it real life? I want to say it is. And the reason we know it is, isn't because I'm just hoping and dreaming. It's sure and a steadfast hope because of what Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago. He, God, so loved this world. And he so loved you in the mess that we've made of our lives and that we've made of this world that he decided, he chose willingly to come into this world in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, to live through this present time of suffering. Have you ever thought that? He, he, the fall happened because we chose it. He could have just stayed away from it and said, actually, this is a bit dirty, a bit messy for me, but God, the Holy One that we've been seeing about earlier, entered into the mess and walked through this present time of suffering. Not only that, but his suffer- he endured the most immense suffering, more suffering than you or I will ever experience by dying on the cross. Not only was that physical torture and pain beyond what many of us or probably all of us will ever experience, but there was a spiritual pain and a spiritual anguish that he experienced on the cross as he took the sin of the world and the punishment that that sin deserved upon himself. He experienced hell for us in our place so that we could experience future glory. He so loved you and he so loved me. 
And you might think, well, that sounds nice. But still, how do I know that a death of a man on a cross enables me to get to future glory? Because he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose triumphantly from the dead. And when he did so, he trailblazed the way to future glory. He went through suffering and through death out the other side. And he rose again with a new glorious body that could go through walls and still ate food, which is great. Um, and this beautiful body that he, he, he gives us a glimpse of in the few days, well, weeks after his resurrection. And he now says, come with me. Come with me to future glory. I have made it possible. I've, been, I've gone there and I've opened the way up for you through my death and my resurrection. But note something important. Jesus' glory only came through suffering and after suffering. His victory was won through suffering. And he says, now you, church, follow me. Follow in my footsteps. What does that mean? The victory and the future glory only comes through suffering. Verse 15 of the passage, we didn't read it. Sorry, not verse, verse 17. Just, just before we, the passage we read, it says, uh, we're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. Suffering is the way to the future glory. It's the only way. It's the Jesus way. We follow in his footsteps, which is the cross-shaped life. Suffering to glory. Suffering to glory. Suffering to glory. But we don't like that. And there are some people who might teach in churches out there who don't like that. And sadly, sometimes there is this distorted message that you can bypass the suffering and go straight to glory in this life. You can get the health and the wealth now and it's guaranteed and don't worry about the suffering. If you're suffering, it's probably because you've not had enough faith or not praying hard enough or there's something wrong with you. That is complete lies. It's not the truth of the Bible. The truth of the Bible and the truth of Jesus is glory comes through suffering. That is the way of the cross. Even Peter in the New Testament didn't like this whole suffering glory thing and he, he heard that Jesus said he's going to die on a cross and then rise again and, and, and Peter said oh no Lord he rebuked him and said far be it from you for that to happen that can't happen to you Jesus and what did Jesus say to him get behind me Satan that's like the harshest thing Jesus said in the New Testament I think and it was because someone was trying to bypass the way of the cross the way of suffering we mustn't do it. We need to be aware. We need to embrace the cross just as Jesus embraced the cross. <laughs> Praise God that he did because without it there would be no salvation. So this is the big story that the sufferings of this present time are located within. Good creation, the full present time of suffering, future glory. And we're in this part of the story. And Paul speaks about it in this passage as a time of waiting. That's what we're in now. We're in this position of waiting. Verse 19 says the creation itself waits with eager longing. So the whole of creation is waiting. And in verse 23, we ourselves wait eagerly for adoption as sons. We are waiting. Future glory, our eyes fixed on the hope that is to come. That is the posture of a Christian whilst walking through this time of suffering. And actually he uses this language of groaning. 
And it's a powerful analogy because he speaks about the groaning of childbirth. Now, I've only experienced this secondhand, uh, as is probably obvious, um, but it's, uh, there's a lot of groaning when childbirth happens for the man as well as the woman, and, uh, <laughs> but the woman mainly. And it's, it's, it's painful, I believe. I've been told. Experience. There is groaning. And I'm sure any women who have gone through that will understand this even more powerful than anyone else in the, in the room, but there is this painful groaning process, but it is in hope that something beautiful will be birthed at the end of it. That's why women go through it. (laughs) Because of what is to come. The hope that is to come. And so it is with us. We have future hope, future glory, of something beautiful that is going to be birthed through the present groaning of our time of suffering that we're walking through. Keep your eyes fixed on the glory that is to come. In those times of discouragement, in those times of despair, when we're feeling like this man in this chair and we're not sure what's going on, we're not sure where God is, fix your eyes on the future glory guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you think, oh, look back to the resurrection, <laughs> because that's why we have such sure hope. But still, that's lovely for the future. But what about now? I can, I can try and grip my teeth and look to the future, but what about now? In the midst of the suffering that I'm going through now, where is God? And fortunately, Paul comes to that as well in this passage because there are a couple of beautiful references to the Holy Spirit in this passage. And yes, Jesus has, has made the way possible, but he hasn't just left us alone. He's, he says, I I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send my spirit to you, and I'm going to be with you. And so first we see that the Holy Spirit brings something of the future glory into the present. And secondly, we see that the Holy Spirit groans with us in our groaning. Two amazing truths that we're just going to focus on as we draw slowly to an end. (laughs) In verse 23, we read that we as Christians, at the same time as groaning inwardly, have the first fruits of the Spirit. The first fruits of the Spirit. The first fruits is an agricultural image. And it was the first fruits, the first crops of the harvest that would, that would spring up and it would point forward to the full harvest that was going to come. And so the first fruit springing up is the Holy Spirit now in us is a guarantee and a point forward to the fullness of the future glory that is to come. We get a glimpse now of the future glory through the Holy Spirit who's come to live within us as Christians. And yet there's a tension here. It's sometimes called the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. Because yes, we can get a glimpse of the future glory and yet it's not yet fully come. And yet there is still so much pain and there's so much suffering. And we live in this tension, future glory glimpsing now and yet, oh, the next day, maybe it could even be next day, next hour, oh, then this suffering or this agony or this thing happens, which reminds you of how frail and feeble and weak we are. And one example of this tension is in the area of healing. As churches within regions beyond, we believe passionately that God miraculously heals today. Praise God. We want to see more healings. That is future glory breaking into the present reality of our suffering. And yet we're also well aware that so often people aren't healed right now, that there is this mystery and this uncertainty. And we, need to be, we do need to be careful that we don't start thinking the future glory has already come 
fully and immediately now. It hasn't. Paul's, in this passage, he's very clear, we're living in a time marked by sufferings. That's what characterizes this time we're living in. With the glimpses of the future glory breaking in. But it's not yet come. And the, the whole thing that if you pray hard enough, or if you have enough faith, then you'll be healed is a misunderstanding of this time that we're living in. The future glory hasn't yet come. One day we will be fully healed and restored. Praise God. So healing is there for all Christians, physical healing. And sometimes it breaks in now, which we want and we're praying for and we're seeking the Lord for. We want his kingdom to come now and the first fruits of the Spirit are in us. Now, therefore, we have authority in the name of Jesus to pray for sickness and to see people healed. We want faith for that whilst acknowledging there is mystery. It sometimes doesn't happen. Maybe in your experience, it often doesn't happen. And we're still weak and we're still feeble and any healing we do experience is always going to be partial and incomplete because we're all going to get sick again one day and we're all going to die one day. But the future glory is when it will come fully. Paul was aware of this. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 13, he speaks about an illness that he had as he preached the gospel to them to the great church in Galatia. And it's, he said it's because he had this illness he was able to preach the gospel. So God can even take sickness and present sufferings and turn them for his great good and have the gospel preached because of this sickness. Or um, in 2 Corinthians 12, that thorn in the flesh I was talking about earlier, it says that he prayed three times to the Lord that it would be taken away and yet it wasn't. In other words, he, whatever it was, he was praying for a miraculous intervention there and then. And yet it didn't happen. And so we live in this tension, the now and the not yet. We press on for future glory, we press on for the spirit and we seek him passionately and earnestly to see it come breaking into our present reality whilst realising this is a time marked by present suffering and it's only one day that we're going to experience it fully. I want to just focus a bit on healing because that's often misunderstood. I could have spent a lot longer than that, but <laughs> that's all I've got time for. But um, the, the, er- the area of sin would be another area. Jesus has given us the victory over sin through the cross. Future glory, there's going to be no sin <laughs> there. It's going to be gone. It's going to be a thing of the past. And right now, by his spirit, he enables us to defeat sin, sinful patterns and habits in our lives. And yet, there are times, I know in my life, there are things, habits which keep coming back and keep, <laughs> I keep struggling with. And I believe and trust and seek God that the future glory is going to come. I'm going to overcome that sin in my life. And yet, I'm aware that there may be some things that are continual struggle throughout my life because of the weakness of my flesh and the world that we live in. Future glory, present suffering, there is a tension as we press on to what is to come. So the Holy Spirit helps us in our present time of suffering. And secondly and finally, he helps us by groaning with us. Verse 26 says this, The Spirit helps us with our weakness, for we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So as we walk through this time of suffering, we are groaning like those pains of childbirth. As we're sitting like that man in that chair, there is this groaning. We don't always know what to pray for. We don't even know how to pray sometimes. You know those times where you just... I just don't know what to say. I just sit there silently. That's okay. Because even at those moments, the Holy Spirit is praying for you. And he is groaning for you. 
to God the Father. It's a beautiful thing there where it talks in verse 27, it talks about the Spirit praying to God. It's like God the Spirit praying to God the Father for you as you're suffering and as you're groaning, as you're struggling. That is amazing. That is so encouraging because it means when I'm so broken that I don't know what to pray for. And when those why gods or what's going on God or, or maybe whatever, something slightly more angry than that, which is allowed because God can take it. When that happens, the Holy Spirit is praying for you. And he knows exactly what to pray for when we don't. And so his prayers are so effective <laughs> for you in those times. It should encourage us. It should also encourage us because it says he prays for you. For you, not against you. Which is important to know. It's maybe obvious, but it's important to know because when we're suffering, we often think God's turned his back on us. There are the times we think, oh, we, maybe we've angered God just one too many times. We've just gone one too, done one too many things wrong that he's, he, he's given up on us. No, in those times of suffering, he is so for you. This picture, painting, is called At Eternity's Gate. And when you hear that title, it adds extra significance to the painting. Because in those times of suffering and despair, he is this man and we are drawing close to God. There is a profound intimacy with God by his Holy Spirit in those moments. He is so close to you and with you. The word translated helps. The Spirit helps us in, this weak, in our weaknesses. Literally, he joins with us to help us. Or has a sense of carrying our burdens. He is coming, I love that image of it. The Holy Spirit can put his arm around you, around your shoulder, and he is, he, is, he is carrying your burdens with you. He is holding you. There's that beautiful footsteps poem. I can't read it all now, but where in those darkest times of our life, we think, Where are you, God? There are the times when he's carrying us, when he's bearing our burdens, he's holding us up, he is groaning with us, he is praying for you. So as we walk through this present time of suffering, looking to future glory, guaranteed through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We do it knowing there are glimpses breaking in now by the Holy Spirit and we seek and press after that. And knowing the Holy Spirit is groaning with us, is strengthening us, is upholding us and is going to lead us all the way home. And he will never turn his back on you. He will never give up on you. Your future glory is guaranteed. So those times when you think maybe it's gone, maybe I've lost it. no. It's certain and sure because of Jesus Christ and by the powerful, sustaining work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to pray um, and respond. Um, if you're able to stand, that would be great. I'm aware at some point soon children need to be collected. But if you're able to stand, if we can have another minute or two, just want to just name a few different response moments. I'm then going to hand over to Sue um, to decide how we navigate that into communion and things. <laughs> but um, let's just close our eyes for a moment. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that it is a free gift that is on offer for you today. You don't have to have a certain amount of knowledge, you don't have to be good enough, you just have to realise, I need this, <laughs> and I need you, Jesus. And if you say yes to Jesus today, you can have your future glory guaranteed. And so simply, that's all I'm going to encourage you to do. Just say, yes, Jesus, I want that. And I'd love you just to respond in the moment by coming up to someone who's going to offer to pray. And just say that, and they'll pray with you and lead you a bit further. But just say, yes, Jesus, I receive you. I respond to you. If you're not yet a Christian. 
But there are others here who maybe are feeling abandoned by God. Maybe that's, that word, abandoned, just as I was thinking about this this week, just, just was strong on my mind. Just, you feel abandoned because of life circumstances. And what you need to know is the Holy Spirit coming alongside you afresh today, groaning with you, sustaining you, saying that I am for you. I'm praying for you today. I'm not against you. I am for you. And I'd love you to respond for that. And thirdly and finally, um, there may be people here who physically are just are ill and sick and would love prayer for healing. And we want to see the future glory breaking into the now. Knowing there's present suffering, we do have to walk through, but also pressing on for more of that glory. And I'd love you to respond for that as well. So there are three options. There are other things as well you might want to come to the front to pray for. Um, but I'll hand over to Sue now, if that's all right. Um, yeah, so come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Fill this place and fill our hearts. We need you, Lord.